So Lee, have you ever had something so crazy happen to you in the woods that you brought it back to camp, you tried to tell people about, and they just didn't believe you? I have, yeah, a few times, and it's hard. Like, how do you make people believe something that is actually crazy and actually happened but sounds so ridiculous? Well, I'll tell you. I got the perfect situation for you right here. Here at Seek Outside on this podcast, we are going to be doing a blog writing contest. We want you, our listeners, to write a blog post about the craziest outdoor experience that you have ever had. Yeah, so we're going to be doing a podcast on December 1st where we will pick the top three and read them. And we're going to be picking the winner on that podcast. So you got to listen to make sure that you've won. It's going to be live. And guess what? The best part is the winner is going to have their story published on our website as well as they are going to win a Seek Outside Silex tent. That's awesome. Pretty dope. Yeah. So to win this, we're going to base it on three kind of judging criteria. Um, The craziness of the story itself. Is it life-threatening? Did you have a close encounter with wildlife? Did you have a close encounter with aliens? Uh, was there, there some sort of natural phenomena that happens, stuff like that. Also believability. Um, because we're asking for crazy stories, we want to see photos. Now these don't have to be professional photos that you've taken with a $3,000 camera. They can be scans from a disposable camera for all we care. We just want to see something, right? Some proof. Uh, and then lastly, writing finesse. Um, so we're talking, you know, full sentences, the whole nines, they don't have to be super professional, but, um, readable for sure. Exactly. We're not asking for Cormac McCarthy, but just something that, you know, we'll grab a listener and be able to live on our website forever. Um, okay guys, if you want to submit your crazy story, make sure you send the story, um, to an email address. That email address is going to be podcast at seekoutside.com. In that email, make sure that the subject is believe it or not, and then your name in parentheses after that, and we will take a peek at all your guys' entries. And again, December 1st, we're going to be doing a semi-live podcast announcing the winner, giving away a Silex, so make sure that you, uh, you write it and you write it good. All right, guys. Enjoy the podcast. Can't wait. Welcome to the Seek Outside Podcast. Outside Podcast. Yeah, there's there's no question to know. David Lee. And you were the uh, head chapter leader of Colorado VHA? Clay Hayes. Uh, well, I got stalked by a mountain lion, uh, made a fishing pole out of a lodgepole pine. Falconry and bird dogs, can they coexist? Oh man, and do they. Shitty weather and lots of bears. That's what this podcast is about. You made a point when you get up in those high basins and the thunderstorms come rolling in. That's how I got into trail running. Some people are just wired that way. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to the Seek Outside podcast. Um, I am Ryan Sabina here, and I am here with uh, Aaron Warbritton of The Hunting Public. How you doing, man? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Oh, of course, of course. Thanks for uh, carving out some time in uh, in this precious time of year. I know where every second counts. Yeah, today it's uh, in the low 90s here, which is really unseasonably warm. 
and uh, I've got a bunch of editing and stuff that I'm trying to get caught up on. Nice. So that I can hunt basically for the next eight, nine, ten days. Yeah. So. Yeah. Good. Caught me on a good day here. Yeah, caught me on one of the few days where we're not in the field. So. Nice. Yeah, man. It looks like you guys are just crazy. I was going to ask you, how many days a year are you guys out in the field? Mm, that's a good question. I'd say it's probably over a hundred or close to a hundred okay. total between you know winter spring summer and fall man basically uh it might be more than that honestly i'm trying to think back last last spring for three months was we were in the woods 40 or 50 days during that you know two and a half three month period so it might be well over 100 it might be more like 150 just one out of every two days you're out out in the field hunting creating content pretty close you're gonna make a lot of people jealous man yeah <laughs> we may not necessarily be hunting but um we'd be out in the woods doing something whether it's you know checking cameras or scouting or whatever nice nice um yeah so let's let's kind of back up um i absolutely love the hunting public man yeah i love what you guys do with content creation um i just discovered you guys I don't know, probably a year ago. Um, but man, you guys are killing it. Um, I love how you guys do things differently than a lot of, um, especially like Western hunting content creators, um, which, you know, not to, not to bash any of them, but I do think that there's kind of this, uh, model that a lot of people kind of follow after where it's like, gotta wear all Sitka, you know, you gotta do this. And you know, there's a very kind of, there's like a mold, that everybody tries to follow and and then you get on your guys guys's instagram and you know uh you guys are just uh wearing you know it's not like you guys are all wearing the same sitka outfit uh you know i see some pictures of you guys rolling around in the honda pilot and i just love that it, it's kind of like the the working man's content um so just thank you for what you guys are doing. I, I absolutely love it. And if anybody out there hasn't checked your guys' YouTube page out, uh, go check out The Hunting Public on YouTube. You won't be disappointed. Um, all that being said, uh, how did you get started in, in content creation? Were you a cameraman? Were you Did you just pick it up one day and say, oh, I'm going to try this? What, what was the process there? Uh, I mean, started at a really early age for me. I was, uh, I was very lucky to kind of know what I wanted to do from an early age. I mean, when I was 10 or 11 years old, we started getting addicted to watching the Monster Bucks VHS tapes from Realtree Outdoors, uh, my cousin and I, and we were already, you know, going to the woods a bunch with my dad, my uncles and stuff when we were that age. And we started watching all these hunting videos during the summer when we were on our summer break from school. So we'd watch hunting videos in the house and then we'd get all fired up and go out in the yard and shoot our bows and go scout for velvet bucks in the evening and stuff, you know, ride our bikes up the street or talk my uncle into driving us down the road to the farm where we could glass deer in the evenings. So it all started at a very young age. And at that point we were watching all those hunting videos and saying like, this is what I want to do, you know, when I grow up. So we pretty much wrecked my aunt's video camera that she had (laughs) at the time, um, just trying to learn as much as we could. And it just slowly progressed from there. And I've, I, uh, 
I started traveling the country, going to turkey calling contests and meeting all kinds of different people in the outdoor industry. And I would just ask them, you know, if I could come and film. Uh, I wasn't getting paid anything. I was just like, you know, I would talk to all these different guys that work for all these different companies and talk to them about where they were traveling to hunt turkeys or deer or elk or whatever in the fall. And then I would, you know, tell them, give them my information and be like, you know, if you need a cameraman, I'll go with you because I was trying to learn how to do that. And I had bought like a really cheap $20 Walmart editing software for my dad's, you know, desktop computer when I was like 13. So as I got older, I did more and more of that stuff and I got better and better at it. And then I started working as a freelancer where I got paid to go on some of those trips and just sort of building that portfolio over time of footage and eventually got an internship with uh, Midwest Whitetail in 2011, went up there, worked for them for seven years. And throughout that period, I really learned a ton about creating web content because that's what we did every day in there um, at that office. I mean, we, we, we cranked out thousands of videos um, over that period of time, all for the web. So, and then we started THP in 2017. So that's kind of a brief rundown of how everything's happened over time. But like I said, the, the, the key there is that I knew what the heck I wanted to do. Looking back on it now, that was the blessing in disguise that helped me get to this point. That's awesome, man. So you didn't go to school for audio, uh, media production, any, any of that good stuff? Oh, okay stuff about you know radio production and tv production at the time and all of that but at the end of the day hunting videos are a completely different animal um to produce versus what we were doing i mean we were messing with you know all this fancy lighting and studios and that sort of thing which i guess has helped me out a, a little bit over the years but Nothing helped as much as just those real life experiences going to the woods with a camera for on like a 10 day hunt and trying to document everything then getting it home and then editing it myself and realizing what I screwed up. That was that was the most um, helpful experience that I had. Nice. Um, do you do have you ever. I mean, I assume that at some point you did some solo hunting just by yourself, right? Yep. Um, so what's the, like, could you go into the, some of the intricacies or the differences and how much more difficult it is to actually hunt um, while filming than it is to just, if you were just out by yourself? Yeah, it's way, way harder. Um <laughs> It's, you gotta be in like a, at least in my experience, um, you gotta be in a really good setup to where, you know, I'm a right handed shooter with a bow. So I, I try to set up my camera and my tree arm on the right side so that I can operate it with my right hand. Uh, some of our guys that self film a lot have went to a hinge release on their bow that actually clips on to the D loop so that they don't whenever they come off the camera they don't have to mm. clip onto the string they can just reach up grab the release and pull it straight back uh that's definitely helped get the shots on film um but yes yeah, so it's very difficult you you kind of have to once you go down that road of self-filming you kind of have to really commit to it it's, it's like there's no 
there's no in between if you want to get cool footage you have to commit to the camera and then if the deer cooperates and stays in the in the spot where you can film it and get the shot on film then obviously that's ideal but that doesn't always happen as you know all kinds of weird stuff happens when you're out in the woods so uh consequently if you're self-filming you may have to pass up you know several opportunities that you would otherwise get if you didn't have that camera with you yeah that makes sense i've uh i've done a couple trips where i've you know just taken my gopro out and try to do some filming with my phone and i always end up like two hours in just putting the cameras away yeah <laughs> i'm just like i'm gonna go i'm i'm hunting on this trip um so it it makes sense um you guys mostly just do public land, right? I mean, that's kind of one of the main ideas behind the hunting public. Uh, yeah, we do. I, I'd say we hunt public land probably like ninety percent of the time. We occasionally hunt private. Um, the hunting public, we, the way we came up with the name was actually um, to, I guess, represent the general public that hunts. So we were just thinking like, we're just, we're your average dudes. We represent the majority of the hunters out there buying licenses. We're just your regular redneck guys. So how do we come up with a brand that represents those people like us? And we're like, well, it needs to be the general public that hunts. So we just came up with the name. Well, let's just do the hunting public. And some people think that means that we're hunting the public. You know, because we are consequently hunting on public land all the time. But the reason, main reason we hunt on public land was because that's the options that we had, you know, growing up. We, I, I mean, in my particular instance, not to go down a rabbit hole or anything, but I started out hunting on permission on small private farms when I was in junior high. And by the time I got to high school, back in the early 2000s that permission was starting to dry up it was starting to get more difficult to get like i could find permission to bow hunt on places but i couldn't get hardly any permission to gun hunt anywhere luckily my grandpa bought a small family farm you know around 100 acres back in the 70s that i've gun hunted on all my life but outside of that it was very difficult for me to get permission to gun hunt anywhere so consequently i just wound up hunting public land a lot of the time when i was in high school and then you know, once I got to college and traveling around uh, different cities and stuff, and then eventually different jobs and working for Midwest Whitetail, it was very difficult to get permission. So I just wound up hunting public land. And the, the rest of the guys in our crew kind of have similar stories, which is, that's, I guess that's the main reason why we hunt public land, for the most part, is because that's what we have available to us. Yeah, kind of just got used to the process of finding good spots on public land, which is difficult man i mean i feel like you know obviously you guys do your your western hunts uh looked like this year you were in uh maybe wyoming whitetail hunting uh you've done some colorado elk hunts you know antelope hunts out here but i think it seems to me like a lot of the stuff that you do is out east where you know public land is kind of hard to it's harder to find than out west here you know like i saw that you guys did a um a deer hunt in north dakota um and up there and you guys were hunting on public land but the whole state there's about five percent public land up there um what's your 
how do you guys kind of dive into that and try to find a good spot? Uh, do you ever get intel from locals or do you guys just straight do, you know, uh, take out a map and look at the good spots on a map? I'd say most of the time it's just looking at a map. Um, but there's a lot more details that go into that. Like we're, we're trying to find areas with the highest habitat diversity, uh, for whitetails and every situation is a little bit different. So it's hard to, it's hard to break down in detail exactly what to do for people that are listening from across the spectrum, you know, in North Dakota, for instance, yes, there's only, there's 5% public land, which isn't a lot, but North Dakota, you have much higher odds of gaining permission to hunt. They actually have a law up there where if the land is not posted, you can go onto it. I mean, we, we ask for permission whenever we find property, whether it's posted or not, but we've noticed up there in North Dakota, we have a much better odds of gaining permission than we would from our home state, like in Iowa. And in North Dakota, what we're looking at when it comes to a map is water it's very open terrain it's flat whitetails love riparian areas near creeks rivers lakes ponds that sort of thing they love that transition of habitat from basically the bank of the water and in so that's the first thing that we're looking for whenever we're trying to pick a spot to hunt on a map and then once we find that then we're trying to think of where people will go and where they won't. And we're basically crossing off areas, big sections of the map where we believe people will be hunting. And we're trying to look for spots that they've either overlooked that are close to the road or that are really, really far away from the road to get to. That's, that is kind of a general tip that we use, you know, no matter where we're at, we're constantly looking at trying to predict hunting pressure and where people are at. But like I said, it all, it all kind of depends, uh, on the, on the situation that you're, that you're dealing with. There's so many little details and intricacies to every, every location and every spot, um, that, you know, change almost by the week out East, for example, if you're hunting in big woods and you have red oak acorns dropping for the next week, week and a half, that's where a lot of the deer are going to be at. But two weeks down the road, all that sign's going to be in those red oaks, but they're not going to be there anymore because that acorn crop is dried up. Like they've, they've either fed it out or they've moved on to the next thing. You know, maybe it's pin oaks or something that's dropping or locust pods back in the timber or, you know, that somebody cut a cornfield nearby and the deer have shifted over to that. So it, it's kind of this ever evolving process when it comes to, to looking at the map and then actually getting out there and finding spots to hunt. We're always moving around. We're always changing what we're doing. Fresh sign is something that we're always looking for though. Cause that usually doesn't lie where the deer are at right now. It's kind of a similar, I'm sure you guys kind of do the same thing out West here. Um, just with, I mean, hunting pressure, I think is the, the main thing I always look for when I'm trying to pick a new spot is just, you know, okay either where is the first like the farthest spot that i can get to in that unit from a road or you know like like you were saying what are some spots that are you know little pieces of blm or public that are right off the road that nobody's looked at 
Um, so it's interesting to hear that you guys kind of have the same. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the good thing with out west in a lot of cases is you can glass from a long ways. And that, that helps keep pressure off the deer. And that's another thing that we're looking at. Like I was talking about specific situations. If we're out west and we can find a high point somewhere where we can look over a lot of country, especially if there's water sources out there that we can watch from, you know, half mile away or so, then that helps tremendously in, in finding deer faster. Oh, yeah. Anyway. Big, yeah, for sure. A, a big advantage of hunting in a spot where you can see it's always it's always more fun too if you can actually yeah. glass something up than if you're just sitting like a lot of the spots i hunt elk uh it's just super thick oak brush and you know it, it's fun because i do a lot of archery hunting and you know most of the time you're calling them in you can hear them it's very like senses like you know you got the bulls bugling and hear them breaking branches and stuff like that but there's something fun about just sitting on a on a glassing knob and and looking over the country and trying to find something. But um, I wanted to go into your guys's deer tour um, and kind of the process that that takes because I think that's something really cool that you guys do. You just take off September and what probably goes till like January or so. Yeah, even later than that. A lot of times um, we've hunted deer clear into February a few different years man so what is like how do you guys plan that out like like how do you prepare for being on the road for that long that seems like just a, a ton of time do you guys go out and not go back home or do you do you go out you know for 10 days here and then head back home and re refuel head back out is that kind of the way you do it yeah we usually go out for a week to 10 days and then we come home. We have a big enough group. We have like, uh, you know, seven, eight people total. And so we may go on a trip with three or four of us for a week and a half. And then those guys may come home and spend time with family, work on editing projects, other things that we need to get done. And whenever they come home, the other group goes out. So we kind of alternate back and forth. It's a long process. Like the first couple of years we did it, we would be gone for weeks and weeks on end. But now we have, you know, enough guys in the group that we can kind of alternate back and forth. Turkey hunting is actually more rigorous than deer hunting because it's a shorter time frame. Like what you said, we start deer hunting um, September 1, usually every year, and we don't quit until almost February. But turkeys, we start in late March and we hunt them until the end of May. So it's just over two months, but you know, tur and I guess my point there is turkey season is about half the length. The total length is, uh, of deer season. So we are trying to, I mean, we love to turkey hunt. So we're literally turkey hunting every single day for that time frame. We're out there sometimes for, 15, 20 days straight. Then we come home for like a day and then we're back in the woods again, hunting turkeys again for two weeks with deer though. It's more of a marathon type thing. It's like, uh, yeah, like I said, well, we don't have anybody that's, that's out there for more than 15, 16 days in a row now, um, before they're coming back home and spending some time at home. So I'm home right now. I'll be leaving, uh, 
you know, again here in the next couple of days for three or four days, and then I'll be back home again. And then I'll be hunting around home for a couple of days. My next lengthy trip isn't until the end of October. Okay. So I'll be, I'll be hunting around home and in Missouri for the okay. next month, basically just bouncing back and forth between those two states. And we're only an hour from Missouri. So, so do you guys ever, uh, you ever have to take some boxing gloves on the road? Just you guys, you ever, ever get tired of each other? Oh yeah, we definitely do. Like it's good to kind of switch the groups up every once in a while to kind of inject some, somebody new with you, you know, because you'll drive each other crazy after, after a while everybody in our group likes to hunt a little bit differently. So we're constantly discussing and coming up with cool ideas of how to maybe approach a property, but we're also arguing some of the time over like what the best thing is to do there and what not to do. But yeah, it's, it's all good. It's all fun. Yeah. I'm just... We all love hunting with each other. And honestly, some of the funnest trips are the ones where like we had the whole group there and we usually go on a couple of those every fall. Nice. Uh, how did you guys meet up where, was it like industry connections or did you guys know each other from childhood or? No, um, we all, most of us met at Midwest Whitetail when we worked there. Uh, Greg started working there before I did in okay. 2010 okay. and then I started in 11 and then I hired Zach as an intern in 2015. And, uh, yeah, most of us were, most of us had worked there previously together before we started THP. Nice. Yeah, it seems like you guys are a pretty solid group. It seems like you guys have a just a ton of fun on the road. Um, you guys got any any big... Uh, so you guys did a couple Western trips here, right? Um, and I think, you know, the listen, listeners yep. of our podcast are, are well privy to the Western experience, but do you guys have any big Eastern... You know, are you doing anything, anything special as far as whitetails this year? Any any trips that you're looking forward to out there? Uh, yeah, we're we're gonna be hunting more than likely in Indiana and Arkansas. I don't know if we're uh, we'll probably go to Ohio as well at some point. Last year we went to Georgia, North Georgia, and we're hunting in the mountains. That was really cool. And uh, yeah, at some point we want to get back out to the Virginias. We want to hunt North Carolina. Um, I've never hunted deer in the mountains of Eastern Tennessee either. And I'd love to do that as well. But you know, with deer, with deer, you just, they take more time like a turkey hunt. You can go somewhere for three or four days and sometimes get into them and have a good, good experience. But with deer, it almost seems like you better plan on being there a week. Um, especially if you're going to a new, a new public area that you've never set foot on. The first couple of days of the hunt are just understanding how the heck the land lays, you know, and and just figuring out the the sort of high level details that you need in order to start hunting. And then it takes several days after that usually to find the deer. And by the end of those hunts, we're usually getting on them pretty good most of the time uh, within a week. But um turkeys we travel state to state to state we may cover 10 12 states in a month with deer though it's about half that so 
but those are those are a couple of the trips that I'm looking forward to here soon. We'll probably come back out to Wyoming and and gun hunt for whitetails as well. And that's you know the opposite direction of what you were asking about, but that's kind of the extent of my season for the rest of the year anyway. Nice. Do you guys uh do you guys get super excited for your western hunts? I know like for me, you know, just being out west here um i've hunted out here my whole life but any any time i get to you know I, I lived in georgia for a while did some squirrel hunting you know some rabbit hunting uh tried for some ducks and stuff like that but that was like that was super cool for me whereas like i know a lot of guys you know living out east you know that's just average for them but then they come out here uh elk hunting and you know it's like this this trip of a lifetime for them which is awesome but it, it's funny just how you know you, i feel like people always want to hunt in a spot that is not their home state um do you guys get super jacked for coming out west here or or do you like them both hunting out east Man, and west we get excited about the anytime same. we're traveling to hunt uh we get it the out east is definitely a major challenge and it's way different yeah. because you're dealing with big timber areas where you can't see long distances it's just it's a much different experience you know on the flip side versus out west at least in our whitetail hunting experiences but like elk hunting is probably my favorite thing to do i just don't get to do it i mean i got to go a couple days this year i had a hunt in wyoming last year and you know my goal is to get out there elk hunting for at least a week in september every year but uh whitetail hunting is what i have the most experience doing for obviously i mean i elk hunt you know five percent of the time that i and i whitetail hunt 95 percent of the time throughout the fall so but to answer your question we really like we really just enjoy traveling and hunting no matter where we're at heck we we go down to texas and we hunt pigs in the middle of the summer in south texas and that's a freaking blast so we're we're always jacked up excited to get on the road yeah man you guys are like the rock stars like i feel like uh you guys are rolling around in tour buses and stuff like that just hitting up different spots you guys <laughs> feel like that <laughs> tour bus yeah if, if you consider a tour bus a redneck honda pilot or <laughs> yeah. old toyota tundra with two hundred thousand miles like yeah that's that's kind of how we roll just throw the tents in the back in a cooler with some food and a couple weapons and we just take off man uh, that's awesome that's sweet yeah that's really cool uh you guys ever i know you guys do a lot of youtube stuff and you guys have uh your show up on i believe like the deer and tu turkey tours are up on amazon prime correct uh yeah the deer tour definitely still is i don't know if the turkey tour is still on amazon or not we're still adding episodes of the deer to the deer stuff though on amazon they went through a bunch of squirrely okay. stuff with their uh upload process so i don't really know if i don't know if the turkey stuff is still there or not it might not be there okay uh do you guys have any plans for like any films or anything like that uh no not as of right now our our kind of niche is the quick you know, semi-live type content that we produce sort of on the fly throughout the fall. And that's the stuff that 
that we have the most time to, to deal with. I mean, it might be cool to do a film at some point, but we're all just so strapped for time as it is trying to, you know, get in the field and, and hunt ourselves and then film each other and then get our content edited for YouTube. So I, uh, I, something that I'd like to do at some point, but as of right now with nothing, no plans to do it in the future. Okay. Uh, do you have, is this, is the hunting public, is that like your, your main, you don't have to have a, a day job anymore? Uh, no, the hunting public is, takes up most of my time now. Uh, but a couple years ago when we started, we had to do all kinds of other jobs. You know, we did other editing jobs for other businesses in the industry we did all kinds of stuff really just to pay the bills um, because the hunting public didn't make the hunting public was just costing money for the first <laughs> for the first couple of years. It was just it was just a money pit. Basically, it was something that we wanted to do. And we knew if we kept working, you know, odd jobs and whatnot in the on the off season and then our off time that we could kind of pay for our hobby to go and hunt deer on public land and stuff. But then it started gaining traction and uh it started getting bigger to the point where we can make a little bit of money off of it you know through the merchandise that we sell and a few of the partnerships that we have so now the hunting public takes up most of my time that's good um yeah that's that's good to hear because uh, like i said love you guys' show um one last thing, I don't want to keep you too long. I know it's early and you got a lot of editing to do here. Um, but do you have any advice for anybody that's uh, trying to get a start in the content creation uh, business for hunting or outdoor lifestyle? Oh, I, I guess so. I can just kind of speak about my experience and those around me. Uh, so I don't know if that's helpful for people or not because everybody's kind of got a different, you know, perspective and a different experience on things. But I would say the best advice that I ever got was to just to be you, your unique self, just be yourself. Because if, if you do that and you don't worry about trying to be like somebody else, um, then it'll come across as very genuine. And, you know, as long as you're creating content that creates value for people, whether that's entertainment value or, you know, educational value, then you're, you're headed the right direction. I think, I think where people run into problems when they're trying to get into content is they, they watch their favorite show or whatever, and then they try to be exactly like them. And they're like, okay, that worked for them. So I'm going to do the exact same thing. And that's, that's tough to do in most cases, like, especially with the hunting industry, which is really small, you have to, when you're, when you're creating content, you have to create something that's unique and different that appeals to, you know, a niche within the industry. Because if you're trying to do something that somebody else has already done, they've already sort of, you know, captured that market. I suppose it's no different than in any other business, you know. But that that's just kind of my take on it is the the more uh, unique you can be as as far as like just being yourself, I think 
I think that's more relatable to people. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and I think you guys, you guys definitely do a very good job with that. Um, and definitely appreciate all the content that you guys are putting out. That's for sure. Um, but Aaron, thank you so much, man. I, I really appreciate you getting on here. And um, hey, if you're ever in Colorado and uh, you guys get an elk down around us here, we're in Grand Junction. Hit me up. We 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 got a few backs around here that are happy to pack something out. So um, awesome. But yeah, thank you very much, man. And um, it, have a great season and good luck to you guys. Yeah, good luck to you guys too, Ryan. Have a good one. All right. Thanks, man. We'll talk to you soon.